Is there a stone blocking the tomb of your soul? Have you crawled inside to escape the pain of life? How can we roll that stone away? Welcome to episode 199 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Sally Ann, Layla, Lorianne, Laura, Kim, Shana, Susan, and Kamala. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Sally Ann, Layla, Lorianne, Laura, Kim, Shana, Susan, and Kamala for your generous contributions. This episode and the past episode, because it's been two weeks since I've thanked donors, they're for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand, as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. And I wanted to start with a reading that sort of inspired the title of this episode. The reading is an excerpt from a work titled Rolling Away the Stone by Sarah York. In the tomb of the soul, we carry secret yearnings, pains, frustrations, loneliness, fears, regrets, worries. In the tomb of the soul, we take refuge from the world and its heaviness. In the tomb of the soul, we wrap ourselves in the security of darkness. Sometimes this is a comfort. Sometimes it is an escape. Sometimes it prepares us for experience. Sometimes it insulates us from life. Sometimes this tomb life gives us time to feel the pain of the world and reach out to heal others. Sometimes it numbs us and locks us up with our own concerns. I'm recording this on the holiday of Easter. I am again reminded of the biblical story told in several of the books of the Bible. This one's from Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And they were sure that they would not be able to roll it away themselves. This is where many of us were, where I was, when we came to Al-Anon. We were closed into the darkness of the tomb of our soul by a large stone, which we didn't know how to roll away and let the light in. How did we get there? I can speak only for myself, not for anyone else. Over the years of drinking, I slowly withdrew from active participation in life. I took refuge from the world and wrapped myself in the security of darkness, as the reading suggests. Although my life may have appeared normal on the outside, inside I was numb and withdrawn. There was so much I felt I couldn't share, so much shame and fear and anger and resentment that could not be expressed. 
didn't feel safe. I carried those secret yearnings, pains, frustrations, loneliness, fears, regrets, and worries, hidden in the tomb behind the stone. Each time I failed at my self-appointed task of fixing my loved one's drinking, each time I found a new reason for frustration and despair, each time I followed my fear down the rabbit holes, to inevitable ruin. Each time I exploded in rage at some slight provocation, each of those times I retreated further into the darkness of the tomb of my soul. There is surely some comfort in numbness, in darkness, in retreat. I could turn inward and curl up and escape the worries for a time. But... Even when my soul was entombed in darkness, my body still had to live in the world outside. There was no permanent escape, and each day I dug in a little deeper, numbed a little more. As with the biblical story, I did not know how, or if, I could roll away the stone. And actually, because the change had been so gradual, Over such a time, I really did not recognize the depth of my entombment. It took a brief awakening, a moment of clarity, to see that I was in the dark and that I needed help. The book of Mark continues, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. They had the help of a power greater than themselves to roll away that stone, symbolized by the young man dressed in a white robe. And so it is with many of us. We need help to roll away our own stone, to let the light in, and to let ourselves out of the place we have walled ourselves into. I found that help in Al-Anon. My stone was not immediately removed, but I did start to let some light in. I began to open a crack in the shell around my fears, around my despair, my resentments, and my anger. I found a place in meetings where I could shine the light of day on the things that I was ashamed of. I found a place where life didn't hurt so much. I found a place where the facts of my life with active alcoholism were accepted and understood without shame. I found a place where you loved me, even when I didn't love myself. This didn't come for free. I had to do my part. At the beginning, my part was just coming to meetings. Really, the hardest step of all came before what we call step one. That hardest step, it was the step into the room of my first Al-Anon meeting. Maybe you've taken that hard step. Maybe you're still not sure you can. Another step that I took was practicing the slogan, let go and let God. 
At first, all I could do was let go. Because I wasn't sure about the God part. I could let go of trying to control the drinking. Let go of trying to protect my loved one from the consequences of her actions. Let go of trying to force consequences. And this was a letting go without any confidence that there was a higher power that might protect her and lead her to recovery. But even so, letting go moved that stone a little bit further, let a little bit more light into my life. As I worked to understand and to accept step one, that we were powerless over alcohol, the crack widened a bit more, and a bit more light came in. I started learning about the disease of alcoholism and began to see the effects of that disease on me in the ways that I reacted to the behavior of my loved one's disease. I came to understand that her actions were not directed at me, but were a symptom of the disease that had her in its grips. I developed compassion for her struggle. And, and all of these all of these understandings and compassion came through listening to the sharing of other people in the fellowship. From reading the literature and from listening to the stories of other alcoholics and their path to recovery. One day, I woke to the fact that the stone had in fact been rolled away from the tomb of my soul and that the entrance was clear. One day, I recognized that I had not been angry, had not been fearful, had not felt despair for the whole day. I said, this must be what serenity is like. It was a gift from a higher power. The external facts of my life had not changed. My loved one was still drinking. There was still chaos around me. Alcoholism was still in full flower. But I was okay. There was no young man dressed in white robes at my side. Instead, there were all of you. You with whose help I rolled away that stone. You who, knowing or unknowing, added your little push. Maybe by sharing your experience. Maybe by sharing your strength. Maybe by sharing your hope. And maybe by sharing your pain. Maybe by just being there in the room and by your presence telling me you are not alone. I thank you. I thank you that on this Easter, I can stand in the light. I thank you that I no longer need to wrap myself in the security of darkness in the tomb of my soul. I thank you. And I picked some music. The first song that I picked represents where I was, I think. It's called Paint It Black. It's by the Rolling Stones. You may be familiar with it. 
Here's some lyrics. I see a red door, and I want it painted black. No colors anymore. I want them to turn black. I look inside myself and see my heart is black. I see my red door and must have it painted black. Maybe then I'll fade away and not have to face the facts. It's not easy facing up when your whole world is black. That's that's where I was. There was no color in my life. My whole world was black. I wanted to fade away and, and not have to face the facts. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. And I was listening to a podcast recently, and and the person doing the podcast was was talking about listening to herself and recognizing that she starts so many second sentences with "and," and it's a two syllable word. And I find myself doing that. Last weekend, as I think I said briefly at the beginning of of the episode with the Tom W. Open Talk. Last weekend, I attended a weekend conference for middle school youth in my church community. We had about 40 youth in the age range from, what, 6th to 8th grade. So what's that? I don't know, 12 to 14, something like that. In a church coming from from a number of different churches around um, a multi-state area. And we were there from Friday night to, to Sunday morning. And that kind of thing's a lot of fun. It's also very tiring, especially when they don't want to go to sleep. Uh, it was being the chaperone in the boys' sleeping room. And I learned that, that boys of that age are immensely amused by bodily noises, whether they're real or fake. Somebody would make a noise and everybody would giggle. And then it would quiet down and then somebody else would make a noise and everybody would giggle. And that went on for quite a while. With, of course, many encouragements for them to stop doing it. You know, but uh, it is what it is. And I did get some sleep. And the next night they were a lot sleepier and, and that didn't last nearly as long. We came together and we did fun things and we did some thinking about issues that we face in in our society or, or maybe in their lives. And I had been asked by one of the organizers of this conference to be the adult chaplain at the conference. The chaplain is somebody who can be there as a listener for anybody who has something that maybe comes up during the conference or that they brought with them that they just want to share. It's it's very much like being in a meeting and having somebody share about what's going on in their life and not being there to fix it, not being there to say, oh, you'll be okay just being there to be a listener and to help them talk out whatever it is that's bothering them. I've been in this role before, and as the adult, don't generally get anybody bringing something to me, but this time somebody did, and it it took me a little while to realize that's what was going on because it just started out as a conversation. Hey, can we talk for a minute? Sure. You know, I couldn't I couldn't fix this person's problem, but I could lend an ear and maybe help them at least feel better for a little while. Maybe help them find find a way to towards um, a solution if there is a solution towards an understanding. It felt also very much like being a sponsor at my step meeting. 
It was the third Saturday of the month, and so we were focusing on the fourth tradition, it being the fourth month. And the fourth tradition is the one that says that each Al-Anon group is autonomous, except in matters affecting another group or Al-Anon or AA as a whole. I've had several people express to me that they're really glad of this tradition because one of their fears coming to Al-Anon was that it might be sort of like a cult and that we were going to try to suck them in and indoctrinate them to our way of life. And this tradition, which says that each meeting does things in its own way, that there there's no boss of all of Al-Anon telling us how to do it, gave them comfort, gave them comfort that you know, maybe this thing where when you say, hi, my name is Spencer, and everybody says, hi, Spencer, you know, maybe the first time it's kind of scary. Maybe that's like, whoa, what am I getting myself into? And this tradition is is helpful in allaying that that fear. So it was, um, it was a good meeting, yeah. Last weekend, I, I actually didn't make it to either of my meetings because, well, I was gone for one of them, and I was just worn out. And, and not not wanting to put my shoes on and leave the house again for my, my Sunday meeting. What have we got coming up in the next few weeks? I'm trying to schedule an interview with uh, a songwriter who, who wrote a song, uh, a recovery song. They reached out to me and, and I said, yes, that would be fun, but we have to find a time that works for all of us. And I want to talk about Alantine. And I think there's some topic suggestions. I know there's some topic suggestions in my my inbox in my so we'll we'll have something. I don't know exactly what yet. Uh, also some local friends wanted to talk about slogans. If I can get them in the studio, we'll pick a slogan and talk about it. But in any case, I welcome your thoughts. You can join our conversation, leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions. You can leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. We have a voicemail button on the website where you can join the conversation directly from your computer, and if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have your own thoughts about your stone and, and how the program has it has helped or is helping you to roll it away, you know, call and leave a voicemail or send an email. I really would love to, to hear your experience, strength, and hope. The website, which is therecovery.show, has notes for each episode, including YouTube videos for the, the songs that I talk about, a contact page at therecovery.show slash contact, or just find contact in the menu at the top of the page, that has the phone number and all the other ways that, that you can participate. So the second song is uh, Ben E. King, with Stand By Me. This felt to me like a song about getting help, getting help to roll that stone away. A few lyrics. When the night has come, and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light we'll see, no, I won't be afraid. Oh, I won't be afraid just as long as you stand. Stand by me. We had some letters and voicemails over the last week. Some of the uh, the folks who donated to support the show left short messages along with their donation. 
Laura said, I found your podcast and it has been a ray of hope in a dark situation. Thank you. Kamala wrote, this show is truly a blessing in my life. Thank you so much for candidly sharing your experience, strength, and hope. It's helped me immeasurably. Susan says, you are a true inspiration to keep strong. Thank you. To all of you who support the show, and thank you for writing. CL writes, thank you, Spencer and crew. This podcast has been such a blessing to me. I live in an area where meetings are not that easily accessible. Your toppings are amazing. You get to the point. The 12 steps are shared and focused in ways that touch my soul and give me hope. I was not in a good place when I found your podcast and knew I could do better, just had no idea how, and terrified of what to do next. I have learned so much about what my dysfunctions are and focusing now on me, not my alcoholic's disease. Thank you, thank you for giving me hope and a way back to me. After some searching, I found a good Al-Anon meeting I am attending weekly, and I don't think I would have looked so hard without your podcast that enlightened my mind and heart and encouraged me in a new way that every day brings rays of hope. Thank you, and keep it up. You touch so many. And, and thank you, CL, for those words and for letting me know that what we do here does have value. And for those of you who haven't been to a meeting, listen to what CL has to say there and find one. I got a voicemail from, from Carrie. Hi, it's Carrie from Texas. Uh, I just wanted to call and thank you and Eric so much for the uh, topic on resentment. Yeah, it's just like when I go to meetings sometimes and the topic is like just what's up for me right now. Yeah, resentment is, um, yeah, unfortunately it's something like I dance with, you know, like I, I yeah, it's, I struggle with it. And it's like one of those things, it's like, ew, I don't want to be resentful. That's like gross. Like who would do that, you know? But I do. It's like my wheels are spinning around this thing that, you know, somebody said to me and I don't know how to let go of it. And to me, it's like it feels like a hook. What I really need to do is release it and I get stuck because I don't know how. Because also something that's up for me is like or like comes up for me around it is that, A sponsor once said to me, like, well, don't be a doormat. And I was like, wait, what? How am I being a doormat? Like, so I want to maybe, you know, stand up for myself, but I don't know how exactly. And, yeah, so it's really, it can feel like a mess. And so before I move on, I just want to say it is so nice to hear two men talking about like their emotions and stuff. It's just, it's really refreshing. So um, thank you guys for that. And I really, you know, I listened to it again because I wanted to hear like, okay, what's the solution part? Like what, what tools, can, what can I do differently? And so I really appreciate that. And you guys had a lot of quotes, which, which were really great as well. For me, what works, it's so simple. Um, it's almost embarrassing how simple it is, but Sometimes I'll walk around like in my mind and just repeat over and over and over. It's not mine. It's not mine. Um, because so often it isn't. And what, when I get to be like a mess about it is when I take it in and, and it really often is just not mine. And one thing that I do not have peace or neutrality about yet is that, um, like maybe five years ago, I I got really, really worn down. I had 
something called adrenal fatigue and it just felt like I had the flu 24 hours a day and I asked my husband you know if I got my daughter's lunch packed the day before and you know at that time she ate oatmeal for breakfast like all he had to do was get her up you know feed her and dress and out the door if he could drop her off at school so me and then my then two-year-old son you know we wouldn't have to drive her to school and it would just be better for us and he said no, that he wanted me to wake up in the morning. So I came to terms with that, and I did. And then fast forward, you know, to five years later when, you know, his drinking was pretty heavy and he didn't get up in the morning. This week, I didn't sleep well, like, again. And I asked if he could – what am I saying? It was yesterday. I said, you know, can you get up with the kids? And he said, I I didn't sleep well, No. I did okay with it, but I mean, I had to work at it because I was, that could be, that could get my like blood so hot. And like, I would just then tell myself all these stories. Like, I don't ask for that very much. I don't ask for a lot. And, you know, about that kind of stuff. And, you know, this one time, you can't do it this one time. I just kept, I just kept running it. Like, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just, it's okay. You know, just like detach. Which also then reminds me of the first time I heard in a meeting, detach with love. And I was like, you know, that's insanity. Like, that's blasphemy. Like, how can you, how can you do that? Like, I knew how to detach, but it was, you know, pretty significant. It was like, you know, like that, like kind of, I don't know, like Italian thing, like you're dead to me, you know, <laughs> like really harsh. And so that, that is part of finding peace around resentment for me is detaching with love that like, okay, I asked for something and just because I asked does not mean I'm going to get it. And okay, I'm going to like release it, like let it go, let it go, not take it in and internalize it. Yeah, it's, it's really, really, really tough. And I, I think I have spent a lot of time and discomfort around resentment and not knowing what it was and not knowing how to make it better. And I'm really starting to recognize it now. And so, you know, I call it, you know, my wheels are spinning, but really it's obsessing. And um, that is a signal to me that I have a resentment that I need to find peace around. Thank you, Carrie. When I'm in that sort of situation where I've made what I feel is a reasonable request for help or to do something and the other person says no, I try to remind myself that, you know, they're not me. They don't have my priorities. And maybe at this time, they don't have the energy or the ability to, to do what I've requested. And I might be angry in the moment, but I, I try not to carry it as a resentment forward. Kim sent an email. Hi, Spencer. This is Kim in California. I'm just feeling so moved to write to you and share my appreciation for the time, effort, and thought you put into your show. I have my home meeting, which I love, and try to get to at least one more meeting per week, if time allows. I read the literature and speak with Al-Anon friends, but I found your show to be such a rich and wonderful addition to the tools I use in my daily recovery. I listen pretty much every day as I'm getting ready for work in the morning, then driving to and from work as well. It's amazing the sense of fellowship you have brought to us with these podcasts. I always appreciate the co-hosts like Eric, I love how he always likes to find the definitions of words and others and the open talks that you share. 
as well as the calls and emails that you share with us. I also really appreciate your honesty and vulnerability in telling your own story. This program is so wonderful and fills me up daily. I have shared with several friends who now enjoy it as well. I'm sure it's not easy for you to fit this into an already busy schedule, and like so many others, I really appreciate it. Thanks also for mentioning episodes where we can find specific topics that have been spoken about. Stay well and keep up the good work, Kim. And again, thank you, Kim. Fitting it into a busy schedule. I don't think of it so much as as fitting it in. It is part of my program, my program of recovery, and it's a matter of making time rather than fitting in, I think. It may not sound different, but, but there's a difference in attitude that's very important to me. About finding episodes, there's a number of different ways to find episodes. You can wait for me to, to find it for you, of course. You can go to the website at therecovery.show. If you're on your computer, there's going to be a search box in the sort of upper right where you can type in a word or two, and it will try to find shows that covered that topic or talked about that topic. If you're on a phone or a tablet, that box is probably not visible at the top. And what you want to do is tap on the menu button and then tap on search. That will give you a place where you can do the same thing. Also in the menu at the top, you can see a selection, all episodes. And that is a list of all of the episodes, 199 so far, in reverse order with the newest one at the top. And you can scan down there for things you're looking for. So a couple different ways to, to find shows. Lorianne called and left a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Lorianne. I just listened to the episode on resentment, and I'm responding to a, a, a question that somebody wrote in about 13-stepping. And I actually referenced it on, on a previous call that I made uh, some time back. And that this definition of the term is actually in the Codependence Anonymous book. What is 13-stepping? This term originated in other 12-step programs to describe unhealthy and inappropriate sexual behaviors that take place within the fellowship. One person could be taking advantage of another when they're in a vulnerable or painful spot, or someone may be using a hug, a nurturing hug for sexual gratification. It could apply to sexual innuendos or joking in order to control, embarrass, or subtly negotiate sexually with another. 13-stepping also occurs in meetings when members flirt, dress inappropriately, or attend to just fine dates. And there's a little more to that description. Um, I suspect, and this is only my own observation, that term is more common in Codependence Anonymous than Al-Anon. Um, I think possibly because more people come to Al-Anon to deal with someone that they may already be in a relationship with. And a lot of people like myself go to CODA because one of our sicknesses is is going into relationships and being in relationships and getting out of them. Um, And I've also heard this in AA meetings as well. And also to respond to that same person, if I may, what what has worked for me um, when I've temporarily been in areas where there's small meetings, I've gone to open AA meetings, and it's been really helpful and just explained, you know, I belong to another fellowship, I'm here, and they're really good about it. Um, And I have found a lot of 
strong recovery that way versus going to meetings where there are just a couple of people and you might be hearing the same stories over and over again. Um, that that's just what works for me. Take what you like and leave the rest. And thank you so much, Spencer, for all that you do and every week. Bye. Thank you, Lorianne, for reading us that definition of 13th stepping. I know some of the, the AAs, maybe most of them that I know, are, are very aware of that term. And there's 13th stepping humor available on the internet. Some of it's a little coarse, as you might expect. If you want to find it, I'm sure Google will, will do the trick for you. Lorianne also sent us an email with a, a topic suggestion. Hi, Spencer. Hope that you're enjoying the weekend. Just writing to share a theme that has come up for me over this past week and wondering if it might be a good idea for a topic. Applying the principles of the program beyond our home lives and people-pleasing. I've heard you share on several occasions about workplace dynamics, and my week certainly has challenged me to use the program to deal with a lot of alcoholic-like traits, behaviors, and dynamics at work. Heard that term at a local Alana meeting yesterday. After a week of workplace gossip, chaos, insanity, bullying, and all-around ugly, I was awakened early this morning by a text from a former colleague whom I have not interacted with in quite some time. I've seen her twice since she moved away in 2011. Over the years, our friendship has simmered, which I attribute to signs of resentment from her towards me when I was not willing to accommodate some of her requests in the past. Wanting to stay at my house for a month or two while moving out of the area so she could save money. Then a couple of years later, she wanted to stay with me for a business trip when our employer was paying for her hotel accommodations. I think she did not want to do the expense paperwork, or so she said. Since then, she has barely interacted with me. I made an attempt to reach out and send a birthday Christmas card this past season, but got no response. I do not feel good about this fading friendship and wonder if it was ever a healthy one. It has been quite some time since we worked together and lived close by to hang out. Though I still struggle to juggle the same character defects, much has changed in my life, attitudes, and perceptions. When I received an unusual text from her early this morning to say, Hi, and then share the chaotic details of her current business venture, which she is short of money for, I sensed that she was going to hit me up for money and wanting me to help her. Despite my impulse to want to figure out a way to jump in and save her, so that she would like me again and approve of me, the reactions of my sick mind. I knew enough, even while half asleep, to take a pause, and indicating that I could not talk right now would get back to her later on, and then went and prayed about it. Since I cut the conversation short, I do not truly know what was going to happen next. However, my instincts led me to allow me time to prepare for the seemingly obvious. I will continue to process my feelings, roll, seek support from my sponsor on how to handle it. I am not interested in being in a relationship or friendship where I feel used, and I wish to nurture genuine friendships. At this point, I need to trust that working the program and trusting in my higher power will guide me to handle this situation as best as possible, to do the next best thing, however that looks. Sorry if this is TMI. Thought it might be helpful to share and maybe help someone else in a similar situation. I feel privileged to get podcast reminders each week, just like with meetings. The message I need to hear comes through. No matter what you do for that week, topic, speaker tape, etc. Thank you, Spencer. Lorianne. That is a good topic, and we do, we do try to talk about how we use the principles of the program and the tools of the program in our daily lives, both in the topic discussion and during the uh, the section of the podcast that we title Our Lives in Recovery. But I wonder if we could do that as a separate topic. It's an interesting idea. Certainly is, is an important one. 
We got a, a voicemail from Laura. Hi, Spencer. This is Laura calling from Munich. We had talked already a few months ago. It was a very good experience for me. I'm calling to see if you have had a show, an episode about what the alcoholics call, what the Alcoholics Anonymous call the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde syndrome, or if maybe we could, in the future, this could be an idea for one of your episodes. I'm having a hard time right now dealing with this lack of reality from my alcoholic loved one, and it's very difficult for me to deal with this. One one day he's one person, the other day he's a completely different one, and um, obviously there's choices and consequences, and it's very difficult. I feel I've been in the program for a year, and I'm quite strong now, but whenever I'm in contact with him again, I feel that like my reality is crumbling down because... Yeah, because of the way he's seeing things. He has, he has totally lost contact with reality. He's, he sometimes doesn't make any sense when he's talking. Sometimes even when he's sober, I think the disease is really eating him up. And so I, I guess this is maybe something a lot of people have been experiencing. Your, um, your alcoholic one telling you the sky is green and you um, replying, I don't think so. And either him then accusing you, you never believe me, you're never, you're never on my side. And then you believing that the sky is green. And I find this very difficult nowadays to deal with this. So it would be interesting for me to see if you, if you bring this to a full episode. I'm always very happy to hear your show and gives me a lot of strength and inspiration. Thank you very much and happy Easter to everyone. Bye. Jekyll and Hyde, yeah, that's a that's a familiar. I think that's familiar to most of us who have lived with alcoholism at some point, which probably is just about everybody in the program. Not everybody, I know that. I guess I'm going to repeat what I what I said before to Carrie that when I find myself in that kind of a place, I try to remember that this is a symptom of the disease. That it's not. A personal attack, although it feels personal and it hurts personally. When the attack is too much, maybe when it's physical or when it's violently emotional, when it hurts more than I want to, to handle, more than I want to deal with, then maybe the next thing for me to do is to remove myself from that person's presence, maybe for the moment or, or maybe longer term. Because as long as they're in the grips of their disease, the behavior that I don't like is going to continue. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We do have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Sally Ann, Layla, Lorianne, Laura, Kim, Shana, Susan, and Kamala did. And I want to thank all of you for your generous contributions, however big or small they might have been. We've put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, 
simply direct them to therecovery.show or just listening to us. We are here for you. The last song I picked is If It's a Light by Mavis Staples, which came off her 2016 album. As with the other songs, you can listen to it at therecovery.show slash 199. Again, on the theme of sort of rolling away the rock and, and letting light into my life. Lyrics here, if it's a light, then let it grow. Don't let it fall. Don't let it stumble. If it's a light, then let it grow. Don't let it fall. Don't let it stumble. We've been down this road before, seen too much now to ignore. Come away from the darkness, darling. Step back into the light again. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you, one day at a time.